Wait for it. There's no need to wait, geeks. We are back. This is the Active Geek Podcast with your hosts, Jim and Chuck. And Chuck, it's that time, man. We haven't done this in a couple years. It's the end of the year, at least for us, because, you know, I'm going on a voyage. You know, Christmas and New Year's is coming up, and it's not conducive to record a lot around the holidays because there's not a lot of news. This year, we're getting a ton of movies. It's just our luck where I have to go away. We get a huge comic book movie and then a huge Pixar movie. But this is our year wrap-up episode, Chuck. And we are going to wrap the year up with some top fives and some all that fun stuff. But we're going to do a little bit more before that. We have uh, no breaking news right now. I'm sure it'll happen after I post this. But I'm going to do my pick of the week. And we've got extended Mando Minutes as we recap the finale, uh, Chapter 16, The Rescue. But let's go to my pick of the week. It comes from DC Comics. It's written by Ron Mars and Andy Lanning. And it is Black Adam, Endless Winter, number one. Endless Winter, chapter eight, by the way, great storyline. I'm a big fan of this Endless Winter storyline. But seeking to bolster his nation's place in the world, Black Adam arrives to Gotham City, demanding action to end the threat causing an endless winter across the globe. But Black Adam isn't telling the world's leaders everything, especially not that he's faced this mysterious Frost King before and won. Find out what Adam's hiding in this penultimate chapter of Endless Winter. You're not reading The Endless Winter, are you? No, I am not. It is a fun little story, man. It's a. It came like it was crazy. I got chapter one, and then there was a, a DC discrepancy in shipping at Crossroads, and then I got chapter three, four, five, six, like back to back to back to back, and now here we are, chapter eight. And uh, I'm excited, man. I think this was a fun little thing, which seems like we're kind of starting the endless winter in New Jersey, at least. So we'll we'll see what happens. I recommend that highly. But we have an episode to discuss, my friend, as we enter deep, deep spoiler territory early in the podcast. We usually save this for, you know, 35, 40 minutes into the show. But today we're going to do Mando Minutes right in the front. This is probably this has the biggest news of the week. As we discuss a new series coming out of the Star Wars universe a little bit later, but we get Chapter 16, The Rescue, directed by Peyton Reed. We get this rescue right off the bat. You know, we know that Din needs to get to Moff Gideon to get Grogu. We know that Moff Gideon has the Dark Troopers. We know that Boba and Fennec are with Din. We don't know what else is going to go on. And and, Jean, and um, Cara Dune is with Din, Din as well. We don't know what else is going to happen. And what we get is battle scene after battle scene. Like, no stale moments except for maybe some weird dialogue like Skank in the Scud Pit <laughs> and, and McGlurky. You know, they're... There's there was a bunch of weird lines in there, but that was I think that was just to pay homage to the Star Wars uh, cheesiness at times. But we start off on a ship where Cara Dune blasts a dude's face off. What did yeah. you think about that? He antagonized the crap out of her. I mean, first, oh he was a he was a jerk off. Oh yeah. Well, first, what they're there for is the scientist, and he was a scientist from season one. And the guy, that, you know, was taking the blood samples from Grogu, but didn't really want to hurt him. Yeah, Dr. Pershing. And he was being escorted by these two Empire, I mean, they're not troopers, but... They're pilots. Yeah. And we see the Slave 1, and that was pretty awesome. And then, you know, they, they board, and right away, the one was like, look, I don't want nothing to do with this. You know, you can have him, blah, blah, blah. And then the other the other uh, pilot shot him, and he noticed Cara Dune right away with the, um, not the, the teardrop. teardrop. Yeah, but the... Well, he called it a teardrop. Yeah, the, the rebel uh, teardrop. You know, he noticed that she was, you know, that was because of Alderaan, and he just was digging and digging and digging. Like, I was like, I hope she shoots this guy. And she shot him right in the head. Yeah, like literally shot him in the face. And I yeah. thought that that was like maybe the the most brutal kill that we've seen in Star Wars, like point blank shot to the face. I don't, uh, know. I don't, th- I don't know. Boba I don't Fett was that. pretty uh, brutal with the stormtroopers. 
Yeah, when, but they but they at least had helmets. This guy got shot between the eyes with a blaster, <laughs> point blank range. Uh, I think the big thing out of this is that one, we find out that Doctor Pershing is in fact a clone engineer, and we know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, another big thing is that we finally got the realization or the understanding behind Cara Dune's tattoo. It was very noticeable in season one. A lot of people talked about it, but we didn't know why she had the tattoo other than. You know, people were saying, oh, you're a rebel sympathizer. This is why you have it, blah, blah, blah. Now we figure out that if you are a, a a person of Alderaan and your planet was blown up, you got that teardrop tattoo. I thought that was cool. Uh, from there, we go to what could be Lothal, where Din and crew goes to a, a bar. They see the, the Talon ship, and we find the, the Mandalorians of Bo-Katan, Koska Reeves, and we're missing Axe Woes. I know we he was nowhere to be found in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I, like how do you have like a six foot four buff Mandalorian in one episode kicking ass and then he's gone, not not even talked about, just completely written off. I feel like he was just getting drinks. <laughs> he was getting uh, drinks and apps and they left without him or he was, you know, in the bathroom or something. Um, yeah, I, I thought that that was uh, that was a good scene. But it was it might have been this might have been the stalest scene to me. I know it pays a lot into the future because we got the explanation of, you know, Bo Katan's a princess, Boba Fett's a clone, Django Fett was his donor, not his father. He's not real Mandalorian. And then we get the the humble little nod there that says Mandalore is not even a planet anymore. They glassed it. They turned it into glass. And I thought that was cool. What do you think of this scene? And was your favorite part Sasha Bang's DDTing Boba Fett? Yeah, I could jetpack. I was like, are you one that that scene was really cool. But my favorite part was Bo-Katan noticed his voice right off the bat. And she was like, I've heard that voice a million times. And one of the best lines is, and this is the last voice you'll hear. I was like, oh, buddy. But again, she recognized, you know, he is a clone, even though he was an unaltered clone that grew at normal speed. He is still a clone. And the fact that she recognized that and. Din didn't even flinch. Like he was just like, "Oh, you're a clone." Oh, okay. You know, yeah, like he didn't was, even. He was more busy about playing dad. He was like, "Listen, shut the hell up. We've got better. I gotta go and get my kid." A foreshadowing thing, and you know, if you watched the Clone Wars and Rebels, that you knew about this. Bogatan said, "Moff Gideon must surrender to me." Yeah, but not with any contact. Just kind of like he's mine. And and Din's like, okay, yeah, you can have him. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care. You can take a ship. You can take the saber. You can do whatever you want with him. All I care is about the kid. And I really like that foreshadowing part because that her saying that and not really giving context is actually a huge part at the end of the series or the end yeah, of the episode. A, it sets up the whole feud between Din and Bo potentially because... It, one, it's a very vague setup saying he has to surrender to me. Like, yeah. we know that. Everyone's like, he will take him alive. You can have, like you said, you can have what you want. What she should have said was, and I know this, you know, it's easier now, but should have said, like, I have to get the Darksaber out of his hand. If you beat him, don't touch it. Leave it on the ground. I need to pick it up. It's mine, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then we jump, let's jump to that point where they get to the ship they go through the landing bay. Pretty cool scene. Blast the stormtroopers. Announce that they're here. It's like, hey, y'all, here we are. Din does his thing. Sees a protocol droid. Goes past that. The Death Star droid. We get a nice little flashback to Empire, which was cool. He goes to the Death Troopers and or, or the Dark Troopers. And at this point, you know, the one gets out and he red vipers it very quickly, like blade to the to the neck. And I'm like, oh. That was easy. He launches the rest into space. And I'm like, oh, that was way too easy. And then, you know, he gets to Moff Gideon. And I'm like, wow, that this was like a very easy quest for eight episodes. Yeah. I like that. One, we got to pay notice is we keep saying like the A-Force, the Avengers, you know, in Endgame when they were supposed to like have that team up and then of all women. And then in the boys, we talked about this too in boys season two. Yeah. The finale, how the, the girls teamed up. Well, this was the ultimate girl Tina, and it did not disappoint. You know, you have Fennec, you had Cara Dune, and you had Bogotan and and Koska Reeves. One of the best scenes that I thought 
is they're on the bridge and you just see the Mandalorians kind of jump off the bridge yeah. and all the, all these uh, troopers come and they think, okay, we have them. And then with their jetpacks, they came out of nowhere and just blasted them all. Yeah. It's crazy. During that scene, I like during the last two episodes, I thought for sure Fennec was going to die. Like I'm like they they look at the ground they show that there is no ground it's space and you fall into space I was like oh my god Fennec's gonna get pushed in here and then Bo and uh, Coast come up and they save the day who who do you think is the most badass badass out of those four I don't know I really like Fennec I think it's Fennec yeah. I, I mean I think I might be partial because I love Ming the Wen I think she's mm-hmm. fantastic but I like I like Sasha Banks I love Katie Sackhoff Gina Carano's hit or miss with me but. I mean, Fennec is such a badass. Yeah. And, like, no powers whatsoever. Like, no. she just comes in there with a gun. I know she's got cyber enhancements now, but, like, I mean, none of them have powers. But, but that's... Yeah, the Mandalorian armor and Gina Carano's got all this training and, like, she's got the, the huge, like, Gatling gun that breaks on the uh, the elevator. I hated that scene. The elevator yeah. scene, I hated it. <laughs> well... I hated it. The, the Fennec, like, she has cyber enhancements, but that's to keep her alive. Like, it, you know, she doesn't have a rocket power arm or, you know, anything like that. Like, yeah, she's got, like, an iron lung. Yeah, it, it's literally to keep her alive. Go back to season one, and, she, you know, they know, like, she was a trained assassin. And, yeah, she's a beast. You know, we'll talk about it later, but I'm glad, you know, she's staying in the universe. Did you think she was going to die? No. Mm- no, I didn't. Did you think anybody was going to die? I did. Who do you think was going to die? Cara Dune. Yeah, so did I. Like b- between her and Fennec, I was like, one of these two is going to die, and and none of them died. Spoiler alert: nobody dies in this episode except for a bunch of stormtroopers, a bunch of terrible stormtroopers <laughs> at the hands of somebody that we'll talk about in a minute. But we get to the 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 break. Yeah. I, I'm terrible with ship knowledge and. Geogra- uh, geography on a ship but we get to the prisoner cell and Moff Gideon is like the executioner he's all bl- all dressed in black he's got the black sa- dark saber and he's right over like two inches above Grogu's head bunch of excellent dialogue between Pedro Pascal mainly Jean- uh, Giancarlo Esposito's dialogue was fantastic explaining the dark saber explaining how he's playing chess and Din's playing checkers he steps ahead of him and then they get into this badass fight which is the second best fight of this entire episode the ending being the best one but what did you think of the moff gideon din standoff well i love that moff like as soon as the the ship breached the hole and they you know went into the tube, like he was getting like they were saying stay out of the tube stay out of the tube so we can release the uh the tie fighters as soon as it did he was like they're going for grogu like they're going for the child. So he beelined. Well, what else would he be going for? But that, but that's great. Like, he beelined to it, waited for him. The fight scene was awesome. But they, again, set it up for people that didn't watch the cartoons, where she said, uh, Bo-Katan in the, in the bar said about the Darksaber, it's like, the only thing it can't cut is pure Beskar. So, flash forward to the, the fight scene, you know, Giancarlo Esposito, Moff Gideon, was just like, oh, yeah, you can have him. I don't, you know. Go ahead, take him. Just let me live. And I was like, nah, he's going to set him up. So then he tried to hit him with a dark saber, and he can't because it's, it's pure Beskar. But it looked like it was bu- it was going to burn through that spear. It did. Like, it was getting, like, the middle started turning red. I think it can cut through Beskar with enough force. And, you know, he wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for Ahsoka. You know, uh, she gave him... To that from, you know, uh, what is that? The disciple of Thrawn had had that spear, but he carries that spear around now. And that was a that was an awesome scene. Yeah, that was a great scene. Second best scene in this entire finale. No, third best. Scene. And and the best part is when Jean Car- or I keep saying his real name, but Moff Gideon loses and he's like, you're going to spare my life. And he goes, oh, I can't wait to see this. Like he knows that Bo-Katan is there to take the saber and he knows that he and then he didn't say anything he was like i'm just gonna let it ride like he's such a mastermind and i think he's such an underrated villain and character like i hope we see more of him he's better than every single villain in the last trilogy is is what you texted me 
And you're absolutely right. He's better than Snoke. He's better than Kylo. He's better than Sheev. Like in in the last trilogy, not the first one. He's he's the best. He he's ten times better than Hux. <laughs> like Jesus, um, you know, Bill Burr's character is better than Hux, and Bill Burr was there for a cup of coffee. But I I like that scene a lot. I thought it, it definitely set up what we were gonna get into when we walk onto the where the rest of the crew is. Din's holding Grogu, happy father moment. He's walking in. He's got Moff Gideon. He's wrapped everything up. He's got the baby, he's got the villain, and he's got the blade. And you're like, okay, this is great. What a finale. Like, I was happy with that. Three things, all storylines tied up in a little Mm -hmm. bow and said, all right, Merry Christmas, hand delivered to us. And then, you know, Katie Sackhoff's face drops, and she's like, what are you doing holding that? And Moff Gideon starts laughing and saying, like, you know, you got to beat me in combat, bro. And you beat me. You're the heir of the Mandalore. And... You see, like you, see, it's that it goes back to in Rebels when Sabine gets the the dark saber, yeah. and she's like, "Here, t- take it, Bo. I don't want it." And Bo takes it. She didn't, you know, there was no combat for Sabine to get that. Like she didn't beat Darth Maul. She just picked it up and gave it to Bo Katan, and everybody, all the Mandalores were, all the Mandalorians were saying, "Okay, we're behind you." This one, he truly earned it, and I, that really has to grind her gears because he's not one hundred percent Mandalorian. He's a foundling. Mm-hmm. And she's a princess and, like, the founders of Mandalore, and uh, she doesn't have it. So we we know how you feel about that. What do you think that sets up for season three? Do you think that she's going to be the, the antagonist to Din, or do you think she's going to fall in line and then eventually they'll they'll have, like, a little weird training match? I, I don't think she becomes the foe of Din. I don't know if she just, like, okay, I'll just take it and it's mine. No, she said no multiple but times. I, I did what like what Gideon said was the power isn't a sword. The power is more, the, story. the story and the legend. And I, I really like that part. But I don't Can't they can't they just make up a story? Yeah. And like Bogotan gets to if they get to Mandalore. I see season three being them traveling to find Mandalore on this quest to revive uh, revitalize and bring back the Mandalorian race, but can't they just get there? And let's say they oh, they gather all the, you know, the Mandalorians that were hidden with the armor, and they say, you know what, Bo-Katan really kicked my ass, and here she is. She's the she's the queen. She's the queen of Mandalore. Why can't they just do that? I think it to her it might cheapen her legacy, and it you know to her it's not true, and yeah. and you know Mandalorians are about honor. And there's nothing honorable about lying, getting the throne of Mandalore. That's really intriguing. I hope they continue that. You know, maybe may may not make it the main main storyline, but I definitely want it to be. Um... Oh no, I think that's going to be the main storyline. They didn't set anything up. Like my thought is that Moff Gideon goes to Rangers of the New Republic, and, I- and is. Because Cara Dune's going to, I think Cara Dune's going to leave, obviously, go to Rangers New Republic with Moff Gideon, and we're going to see him or her trying to, um, we're going to see her trying to uh, interrogate Moff Gideon to get all the secrets of the Empire. And that's going to be Moff Gideon trying to gain his freedom by spilling it. And I think season three is going to be Mandalorian, Din Djarin, going with Bo-Katan and Koska Reeves. And maybe Axe comes back. Who knows? Maybe he was in the bathroom. <laughs> and he had IBS and he couldn't make it. And they go to find Mandalore and then there's some hijinks on the way. And I'm I'm fine with either of those storylines. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't think she just kind of rolls over and says, you know, I'm I'm the holder of the dark saber now. I think that's no. Uh, I I think I think Din's gonna f- fall in love with the power. Maybe. Yeah, and then there's gonna. That's what turns uh, Bo-Katan into the the antagonist of the season, which could be cool. Yeah, which could be really cool. Mandalorian versus Mandalorian. I'm here for it. We're missing. We're glossing over a big part. We're sitting on the the dock of the bay per se, and we're watching all the chaos. Moff Gideon is just laughing, stoking pistols under his cape, and all. Then we see that all the dark troopers are coming back, and they're getting ready to board the ship. And what we thought, no, at least what I thought, I thought he maybe had like fifteen dark troopers. 
Yeah. He had like 600. Like literally the entire screen was red. It looked like when you get Ghost and Pac-Man and everything turns blue and you're like, oh, I can get all them. But opposite. All of them were red, meaning all the Death Troopers or Dark Troopers were getting on the ship. And then, you know, the ominous music, they're beating the crap out of the door. You're just waiting for them to come in and you're like, how are these people going to survive? And then Red Red Leader pulls into, into the docking bay and out comes a cloaked man who at the first glance, I knew who it was. I knew immediately it was Luke Skywalker. So what did you think about that moment? I knew it was him as soon as the X-Wing pulled up because, okay, he's in an X-Wing. Uh, it's not Porkins. Porkins is dead. It's that would not, be great if it was Porkins. <laughs> it's not Wedgie and Tilly's. Like, it, you know, who else? Trapper Wolf. It, it, it could have. Oh, my God. Could you imagine Dave Filoni being the savior? Um, I thought what – dude, I was like, oh, Trapper Wolf's coming back? He's going to get mowed down in two seconds. <laughs> that would be amazing. But that's not who – like I said, as soon as it came on screen, I was like, oh, it's Luke. Like, not even – there wasn't even a millisecond that – Anyone else. As soon as I seen it, I was like, it's Luke. And now, stop right there because I want to ask you a question. You were not a fan of the no. projected idea a few episodes no. ago that I said it was going to be Luke. After seeing this moment, are you, st- are you still on the fan- not a fan of this or are you a fan of it? Oh, no. Of course I'm a fan. But I'm, uh, I, I, I'm not happy that it happened because I didn't want it to happen. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm glad what we got and, and I loved it. But I... I still think it kind of cheapens the legacy. Um, the legacy of who, Luke? Yeah. No, this is going to increase the legacy of Luke because you're going to – you saw Legends Luke. You saw badass, most powerful Jedi in the world Luke. And and it was great. Like I'm not saying anything. Like I love that scene. I love the ending. But I did not want this to happen. And, okay. I, and I still hold to that. I did not want it to happen. Um, I, I, I'm fine either way. I'm glad we got a Jedi. I kind of thought that it was going to be Luke. We talked about it on the show. Um, I don't know where I stand with the future of Luke. I don't know if this is the end of Luke and Grogu and that like they've just pissed off and everybody else is going their separate ways because I'll be honest with you, I teared up a little bit and by a little bit I mean a lot when Din Djarin had to say goodbye to Grogu. And he took his helmet off, shaved his mustache off in the between the fights, and put his like they're touching faces. And I'm sitting there like I'm 33 years old. I'm crying because the toys getting lost, getting replaced. But man, the emotion I felt during that scene, that closing scene, was was our text from the never-ending story uh, sadness. It was the Notebook. It was Toy Story. It was all these sad movies all put into one. Uh, what did you think about that moment? Well, as soon as, like I said, as soon as Luke came up, um, AG is sitting downstairs with me, um, and we're watching. She's not really watching it; she's actually doing homework. And she, um, it came down, and I started freaking out. And she said, "What's going on?" I was like, "Oh my God, it's Luke!" And you know, he was just like you said, had his legends moment, and it was very reminiscent to. Darth Vader in Rogue One, how he just came in and was just mopping the floor with the Dark Troopers. The best part was at the very end when there was one Dark Trooper left in front of the door and he just kind of crushed him from the inside. And, like, that just shows how powerful he is. Yeah, he's got the lightsaber, but, you know, he's got this force. And He barely he, used the lightsaber, which was awesome. Yeah. He was, like, crushing him and force-pushing him into space, the vacuums of space. It was amazing. Yeah, it was it was great, and the whole time I'm thinking, okay, is this de-aged or is it Sebastian Stan? I was hoping for Sebastian Stan, and then we got like super wonky CGI. It was a little creepy. I really thought it was Sebastian Stan. So I'm and I and I even said I was like, is it Sebastian Stan? Alana's like, who? I was like, Winter Soldier, and she was like, oh, and then just acted like nothing happened. So then we get the reveal, and I'm sure millions of fans just like us were thinking the same thing, like. Okay, is it who? What is this? And he pulls his head off, or head off his his cloak off, and boom, it's it's a uh, de-aged Mark Hamill. Um, it at first it didn't look bad. Uh, yes, it's a, you know the technology is not perfect, and also you got to think it's a TV show. Like it, this doesn't have a three hundred million dollar budget. Like it's got a movie budget though. It's a Disney. This is an Arrow. This is the Mandalorian movie budget. 
and and it does, and I'm sure it has a big budget, but still, you know that CG the 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 aging process isn't perfect. So I I didn't hate the CGI. I I saw some spots where like you said a little wonky, um, but I, I think overall it was a good job. I think that if they pursued this Luke and Grogu storyline, you need to bring in an actor. I refuse to watch a series that is all DHCGI and animatronics. Like I, I just I don't think I'd be as invested in it because you can't get Luke Skywalker as Mark Hamill because he's 60 years old and he's not going to go in there and put green makeup on his face and be DH. If you have somebody who looks like the part and wants to play said part, you should just cast him and have Sebastian Stan go through the little voyage with baby Grogu and they'll set it up. Do you think this is the end of Grogu and Luke? Back to my original question. I do not think so. I don't know where they're going to go with it. I think Grogu is such a huge character and huge. And, you know, not only, you know, with the, the lore of Star Wars now, it's he's a cash cow. And even though, you know, you don't want to say that they're not worried about money. Of course, every, you know, it, it's a business. They're worried about the money. So yeah, Disney lost a lot of money during Corona. So are you really just going to give up your cash cow right now? You know, Baby Yoda has, or I'm going to say Baby Yoda because a majority of non-Star Wars fans still call him that. But, you know, Grogu, he he's transcended people that don't even like Star Wars. Like, my wife loves Baby Yoda, but doesn't like Star Wars. She started, she's watched The Mandalorian in season one only for him. And I feel that way with a lot of people. And... I don't think you can give up that kind of popularity. I, I I think we have to see what happens to Luke and Grogu. Yeah, I think we see it towards the end of uh, season three into season four. Maybe that's when Pedro Pascal says, my story's done here, that we can go on to the next chapter. And maybe that's a Bo-Katan Mandalorian-based series. But I don't know, man. I, I'm excited about this. And you, you watched through it, and I texted you. I said, watch through the entire credits. And I was, as I'm watching it, I'm like, this is a 5 out of 5 episode. And then the end credit scene comes up, and that bumps it up to a 12 out of 5. Because we're back to Tatooine, and as soon as it happens, I was like, oh, Boba Fett. We show right back up to Jabba's palace, mm-hmm. and fat-ass Bib Fortuna, <laughs> or Bib Fortuna, is sitting on the throne with 19 chins now. He's just a walking hut. And Fennec kills his people, kills the Gamorrean guards. We see a nice little red Rodian. The Rodian runs up the steps. Fennec comes down. Boba Fett comes down, still rocking his robe, which is amazing. I love that he's in, like, traditional robes and armor. I don't think I've ever seen that except for, like, maybe samurai stuff. Then he walks up to Bib Fortuna. They're talking. Bib Fortuna says Malurky or McClunky. And boom. Shot point blank range right in the chest then we go to the iconic scene that is your phone background right now fennec slugging on some powerade slurpee and boba fett sitting on the throne in jabba's palace what was your reaction to that scene well first as soon as uh you know they showed it was i was like oh we're back with Tatooine." i was like oh my god that's jabba's hut or jabba's jabba the hut's palace and um as soon as i seen bit fortuna i'm like so this guy was the right hand man, and as soon as, you know, Boba was or not Boba, um, Jabba was killed by Princess Leia. He was like, "The underworld is mine. Like I'm taking this," and you know, I'm not sure where the other huts are because you know, uh, but he has taken over this palace and assuming the underworld. And I guess he was just kind of like, Jabba was fat. I'm just gonna get fat. You know what I mean? I'm just gonna eat and drink and have my slave girls dance and. That's what it is. And then you don't know what's going on. And then the two guards were killed. And here here comes Fennec. And I'm like, oh, she is so badass. And and then I'm like, oh, here comes Boba. And Boba comes out. And like you said, shot him. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, one, like, you kind of want to be him a good guy when he was, he was helping Din. And then you kind of realize he's not. Like, he, he's come in here and he's kind of like, this is mine. I'm taking this. And I, I, this is when I really fangirled. I screamed, I yelled. 
And then the best part is when it fade to black and said, the Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, and at the end of that episode, we find out that the Book of Boba Fett's coming out with no clarity. It's coming out December 2021. And you're like, at least I thought this was like, can this be season three of The Mandalorian? Because we didn't get the announcement at Disney Investors Day. But no, it's actually going to be a live action series running concurrently with The Mandalorian just four days earlier. Yeah, and I, I was kind of worried about it because we even talked about it. I was like, you can't din story like that. Like, you just can't go, oh, okay, it's not going to ha- You know, you're not going to see it for two years at least. I'm, I'm glad that we are get- I was surprised. I was really surprised that they're running in the same week because I, I didn't think they would do that. But, I hey, you're getting double Star Wars in one week. I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, so it's fair to say that you give this a five. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I do, too. And I think that the future for Boba Fett, I have a theory that the book of Boba, the title is is specific to he has a hit list and he has a ledger and he's going to go through his ledger and he's going to kill everybody on his ledger, everybody who's wronged him. And I think that that is going to introduce familiar and unfamiliar characters in the Star Wars universe. And I'm super excited for this. So, yeah, the future is yet to be told. And and not only like he he's on Tatooine. So, you know, uh, do we see Cobb again? Oh, I, definitely. He's coming back. And then I'd like to know why he never went and got the the armor from Cobb. Like, he went from Din, and you're going to put up a fight with Din. He could have easily be Cobb. Well, maybe he appreciated what Cobb was using the armor for. He was using it to right the wrongs in the city, whereas Din just had it as storage. Yeah. Um, as a so, trophy, so, you know, we see that. Uh, Pelimoto's still out there. You know, maybe maybe she's fixing uh, Slave One. And then also, too, you know, you got they can bring back people from all Star Wars. Like, you know, what if Watto is around? What if uh, Saboba is, um, you know, drinking in in the palace? Uh, You know, obviously, we know Obi-Wan's dead in this timeline. Luke is gone. So, you know, and Ray's not in Tatooine yet. So, you know, we can still see a lot of familiar faces which i'm hoping we see on tatooine yep that's why i said they may introduce familiar and unfamiliar faces in the universe so uh we'll wrap up the mando minutes which took 34 minutes and we'll go into our year wrap up uh, we all know 2020 has sucked uh it's been you've watched news you know it's bad but for geeks it's actually been pretty good besides all the movies getting delayed so we're gonna do a couple top fives and then we're gonna get out of here before we do our uh our year in review or our year preview for 2021. So TV was pretty good this year. It's fair it to was. say, right? Yep. Um, we're, we just reviewed eight episodes of a TV show for eight weeks and yeah. we're going to do it again next year. So give me your top five TV shows. And this is pre Sabrina because we're recording this before Sabrina yep. and before Wonder Woman and Soul come out. So our top fives could change come the new year. So give me your top five TV series from 2020. Top five. Uh, first, I will go backwards. Uh, fifth is Lock and Key season one. Okay. Uh, number four. Forgot that came out. <laughs> uh, number four is Umbrella Academy season two. Uh, number three is Mythic Quest season one. Very good. That's a nice one. Love that series. And then um, no surprise that the uh, two and one, Number two is The Boy Season 2. And, of course, we just talked about it, Mandalorian Season 2 is uh, my favorite movie uh, or my favorite show of the year. I mean, honestly, it could be your favorite movie, too, because the movie sucked this year. Yeah. But, yeah, we've got the top two the same. I would I would have been surprised if Mandalorian was, like, number four on your list. Mandalorian is my favorite show of all time. For real, really? Yeah. Two seasons in. Yep, 100%. Wow. That's nice. That's, that's good to hear. That means Star Wars is doing something right, right? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to hit you with some honorable mentions because, as I said, we had a lot of good television shows this uh, this year. Uh, number one on my honorable mention is Dave. Yeah. Dave Dave was so good. It was so underrated. And if you if you remember, last year, it was one of my top five TV shows to look forward to. Yeah. It, it was so good. I'm glad it's getting a season two. It's... It, you know, if you're a fan of Little Dicky, it's exactly what you want in a TV show. Yeah. Uh, number two, it was a 
It's a mini series. Uh, I don't think it's getting a second season, but the Queen's Gambit was phenomenal. I, I heard I thought, that. Thought that was great. I love chess to begin with, and I think Anya Taylor Joy is a fantastic actress, and that was very good. And number three on my honorable mention was Lovecraft Country with Jonathan Majors and um, uh, Journey Smollett Bell. Yeah, our future uh, Kang the Conqueror and Kang and, and Black Canary. Yeah, um, I started watching it. I, I never finished it. I kind of fell off a little bit. I might go back on to it, but um, it's a very fun series. It's dark. Yeah. It's uh, it's a great series. I I really like it. So I'm gonna go to my top five pre Sabrina, because I think Sabrina might might come in at number five, but depending. Number five is Star Girl season one. I'm okay. blown away by it. I thought it was really really well done. We've obviously yep. talked about it on the show. I interviewed uh, Mark ashworth from the series so i'm going to put that at number five number three was umbrella academy season two i really really like that number the three two and one spots i don't think it beat beat that number three is a series that i talk about on this podcast as much as i can it's letter kenny i love the show i love everything about it season eight is coming out the day after christmas so i can't wait for that Number two is The Boys, season two, and number one is Mandalorian, season two. And it's not like a close one and two, to be honest no. with you. I think The Boys is fantastic. That's a yeah. five across the board each episode, but The Mandalorian ramps it up to, if it were a one to ten, it's a ten each episode. So uh, I'm not surprised we had the top two right. Now, do you think Sabrina makes the cut after you watch the finale of Sabrina this year, this year into next year? Uh, no, I'd be really surprised if it, it it crafts my top it cracks my top five okay i i loved season one and that and that was it uh season two and season three i wasn't a big fan of so okay i unless something amazing happens i i'm gonna watch it i'm, I'm definitely gonna watch it because you know i invested three seasons into it but i just don't see me loving this and i i might not even watch it you know the first weekend or the first week it's it's going to be when, when i get to it okay well this is a, a show that i really like and obviously because it's going into a comic form that i'm invested in so i will watch it the the day it comes out and i'm looking forward to it i think it might make my top five like i said all right this is uh going to be a tough one because wonder woman and soul are coming out on christmas and yeah. soul sitting at 99 percent on rotten tomatoes uh maybe the best animated movie of this year wonder woman rumors are like early in the in the year that it wasn't that good because they leaked the script and no one liked it a lot of people are liking it overseas it, it was a little disappointing in its opening in china but this is our top five pre-wonder woman 84 in seoul what's your top five movies this was really tough i kept throwing movies off and on and um it, it was really hard uh but number five is a movie that i i really enjoyed um i didn't understand it <laughs> Uh, I did definitely need to watch it again, but I love his movies. Is Tenet? Yeah. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, visually, it's amazing. Uh, the script was great. It just the movie's confusing, um, and that's with a lot of Christopher uh, Nolan movies. You gotta watch uh, it with subtitles. Yeah. Uh, number f- number four is a uh, Scoob. Okay. I I you know we've talked we did a uh, Sco- our Hanna Barbera episode and. I love Scooby-Doo, and I thought it was a great introduction to Scooby-Doo and the Hanna-Barbera universe. Number three was a, a surprise for me because I, I, I didn't know the source material, but I thought it was uh, well done, was uh, Old Guard. Okay. Shalice Theron was amazing, uh, the, and I, I really enjoyed the movie. Number two is, uh, is a movie that we were super stoked for, and that was uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. I knew that was going to be top two. Yeah. Um, I I love that movie. It was fun. Uh, the first one is one of my favorite movies of all time. Bill and Ted Bogus Journey, uh, not so much. Uh, but the third one really came around and uh, was great. And number one, Invisible Man. Yeah. I I thought it was well done by Lee Wanell. It was creepy, but not too horrifying. Like It was a modern take of Invisible Man that I didn't want or expect, and it was amazing. Yeah. Again, I love your list, as always. Uh, I'm going to hit you with my honorable mention. Uh, Number one on my honorable mention was Freaky. 
I really enjoyed it. Uh, I love Vince Vaughn, Catherine Newton, who's going to be Cassie Lang and Ant Man, mm-hmm. and the Wasp Quantum Mania uh, was fantastic in this as well. Number two was Onward. I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, it fits my niche of being a nerd, being a geek, and the D and D world. And number three was Devil All the Time with uh, Sebastian Stan, Robert Pattinson, and Tom Holland. I really, really enjoyed that. But number five was your number five, Tenet. Uh, okay. I need to go back and watch it with subtitles. Yeah, uh, and it's it was. I feel like it could have been a number one movie if I if I heard what was going on. I think the bass was a little too loud in it for me to kind of focus on what was being said. But it was still it's still a great movie. Uh, number four is Love and Monsters with uh, Dylan O'Brien and Jessica Hemwick. Uh, very good movie, well done. It was fun. It was enjoyable. It was a fresh story. I was a big fan of that. Number three is an animated film, uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Yeah. I, I thought that that was an amazing ending to a universe that we have been invested in and for quite some time. So I put that there. Number two was your number one, The Invisible Man, for all the reasons that you said. Plus, it, it kind of launched Oliver Jackson Cohen into the stratosphere with uh, superhero fan uh, fan castings, which is fine. I'm here for Mr. Miracle, if anyone's listening. And number one was The Gentleman. Oh, yeah. That was that was a good one. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. It was uh, it was my favorite movie of 2020 when I saw it. I was like, this is the best movie I've seen. I'm going to see this year. Um, another honorable mention, Bloodshot, the Birds of Prey movie, and New Mutants. <laughs> yeah. Honorable mention for the worst movies of the year? For the Razzies. Yeah, that's my number one, two, and three for the Razzies. For the now, let's go to, Yeah. Do you think that Wonder Woman 84 and Soul make your list this year? Wonder Woman, I I, I do. I, I really think that um, that is going to make the list. Soul, probably not. It's in um, 99% right now. And that's, that's great. That's but. crazy. I'm going, we're going to, Wonder Woman is a, like, we're already making plans. Like, Christmas, we're watching it. Soul, we'll watch it that weekend. It's definitely, okay. uh, uh, I don't think it's a Christmas Day thing, but it's definitely a, that weekend. Um, but Wonder Woman is like, AG is like, we need to watch this. So, yeah. that might be, like, dinner's cooking, the ham's cooking, we're relaxed, we open up our gifts, boom, throw Wonder nice. Woman on. Nice. I think I definitely think Wonder Woman makes my list. I do think Soul's going to make my list too. I think te- I I I'll watch Tenet the second time and see if it goes higher on my list because I know it is a phenomenally well done movie. I just need to see it again to kind of truly enjoy it. All right, let's go with something new that I put on it this year. Top five comics that you read this year. What do you got for me? Just read it today. Um, I got it the the other day. Um, it's The King in Black. And I uh, also got Null, what they call Null Number One, and that was the um, the you know had uh, three Venom stories and a Carnage story to lead up to Null, and up to the King in Black, and it's it's amazing and it's something you were talking about. Um, I got I got the King in Black. Uh, King in Black Two comes out this week, you know, before we record, but uh, it it is a it's a great storyline and um, I I love it. Okay, what was your number four? Uh, number four is uh, Rorschach. Okay. I I you know ever since seeing Watchmen, uh, the movie, I I love Rorschach. Uh, I didn't like what they did with him in the Watchmen TV show. Um, I I liked Rorschach in uh, the um, Doomsday Clock, and this uh, Rorschach series is is great. The third is a very very weird storyline. We talked about this, but there's some great visuals. By Greg Capala, and that is uh, Last Night on Earth. Uh, I thought it was great, you know, have Joker's head in a uh, in a case was really cool, and probably one of the coolest, the coolest scarecrows that we ever saw. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, number two is Deceased. Great storyline, uh, great covers. You know, I really love what they did with the movie covers. Um, so deceased and uh, number one is DC Death Metal. Okay, nice. We've got a couple on, on the same same list. Uh, my honorable mention are two of your top five actually, uh, but I think it's because I I read more comics than you. Uh, King and Black is 
the first one on my honorable mention, mainly because there's not enough sample size. The first issue was phenomenal. Uh, what Null does to a very powerful superhero that I will not spoiler was beautiful, and the art is amazing, but there's not enough sample for me to say it's the top. Uh, Rorschach, again, I do love Rorschach, but he didn't make my uh, my top five. Another Tom King story did, but we'll get to that. And then Chu, C-H-U, by John Lehman, uh, from Image Comics made uh, my honorable mention. But my top five is the Tom King story that I was telling you about, is Strange Adventures of Adam Strange. Um, I love that. I think the artwork is phenomenal. The story is really cool. And it's introducing you to a character or reintroducing you, if you already know this character, who is going to get a series on HBO Max. So it's a very good lead-in to a series that's coming out. Uh, number four is uh, Deceased Dead Planet. For the same reasons that you said, I absolutely love the movie covers. The story is great. I don't like what they did to the Green Arrow, but I'll hold my judgment for the finale. Number three is Commanders in Crisis. It would be higher on my list, but there's only three issues out. Um, that's by Steve Orlando. It's a fantastic book. I recommend it every single month it comes out, and I will continue to do that. Number two was Dark Knight's Death Metal. I think it's fantastic. It's ending the rebirth era of the DC Universe. Mm -hmm. And it's launching Future State, and it's launching everything. So I'm looking forward to that. It seems like this has been an entire year event because I feel like I'm, I've been getting books since January for the storyline. Yeah. But they don't disappoint. They're all really cool. And they introduced the Robin King, which is a very awesome new character. Yes. And my number one is an image comic uh, by Rodney Barnes, and it's called Philadelphia, And it's about vampires, dead presidents, and uh, Philadelphia. And I love it. And it's fantastic. All right, we're going to do top five comic writers of 2020. And I think if it goes based off of the books that you just read off, it's the writers of said books. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how can you say that, you know, your favorite books are not done by, you know, the the writers that, that created these books? So, yes. So, number five is Donny Cates. Um, you know, he, he did The King of Black. Number four is James Tanyan the fourth uh he did the side stories of death metal he worked on um justly dark and one of his greatest achievement is he created punchline yes he's Number got three a lot tom of great he's got a lot of great stuff at boom studios too and aftershock yeah and then tom taylor was a busy man this year uh you know, he, he's done a lot of stories. He did Hellblazer. He did the Joker 80th anniversary, uh, Deceased, Deceased Dead Planet, you know, Hopes at World's End. Um, he did uh, Marvel, The Immortal Hulk, and he did a storyline for Boom Studios called Seven Secrets. And so he Tom did Taylor, Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, Tom Taylor was a very, very busy man. Um, and then uh, number two is Tom King. Uh, you said The Strange Adventures. He did uh, stories for Robin and... Catwoman 80th anniversary, uh, Rorschach, for a mention Rorschach, and the Batman and Catwoman um, storyline. And uh, the great thing he brought back, he brought back a favorite character in, uh, spoiler, uh, Phantasm. Yeah, we spoiled that weeks ago when I yeah. did it as my uh, recommendation. But I, you know, in case someone didn't hear that. Um, and then number one is uh, Scott Snyder. Uh, obviously with DC Death Metal and uh, Last Night on Earth. Yeah, I mean, we have the same, well, well, Scott Snyder, Tom Taylor, um, Tom Taylor, who is now working on Nightwing in the next few, in the next year, which is going to be great. Uh, Tom King made my list. Rodney Barnes is, is number two. And Steve Orlando will still be my favorite writer, uh, because not just because of Commanders in Crisis, but everything else that he's uh, he's written this year. And he's going to be doing Man Thing next year, which is, is a lot of fun. What was your biggest announcement of 2020? There were a lot. Yeah. Um, was it that and we then, have to wear masks every day? <laughs> so every all these lists were, were pretty tough. And all these lists have went through several rewrites. Um, it was ne Nothing was ever like, oh, this is an easy list. Um, so uh, my number five was the announcement that we were getting a Snyder Cut. Um, you know, it's, it's a huge story, uh, something that everyone had been wanting, and then we finally uh, got that announcement. Um, number four... Uh, some of these I just bundled it together so much. Number four is all the castings of Spider-Man 3. Okay. Um, you know, between all the Spider-Man, we got, you know, Jamie Foxx on back, Electro, Alfred Molina coming back. Um, so all those uh, I, I grouped together. 
Number three, um, again, I grouped this together. Everything from Disney Investor. Uh, it was such a such a big day. It, you know, easily though some of those projects would be top fifteen announcements. Um, but I definitely uh, so everything from the investors. Number two, obviously, the book of Boba Fett. Um, the way they surprised everybody with that was it was amazing. Um, you know, we talked about this day. Oh, they're working on the Boba Fett series. And then when they did the Disney investors, nothing. And the fact the way they did it with the scene they did it in was was amazing. And, you know, something we always talk about is everything gets spoiled and things get leaked and you don't want to hear it. They are such tight lipped over it's. Uh, John Favreau's crew at Star Wars. You know, no one knew that Grogu was coming in Mandalorian season one. Um, and you know, we heard rumblings of Ahsoka. We heard rumblings of uh, Timu Morrison being casted, but not weren't sure if he was Boba Fett or Rex. Um, and like with the Ahsoka, no one saw Ahsoka until that series uh, premiere. And what they did with the book of Boba Fett was amazing. So that made number two. Number one is WB sending all their movies in 2021 to HBO Max and theaters. Yeah. Um, that's a huge news, huge shakeup for uh, the theater. Great for fans. Um, but for the theater industry, it, it was really uh, surprising and, and tough news to hear. So they yeah. were my top five. Yeah, we have similar top fives. Well, no, we don't. Um, my top five, um, number four was the Bad Batch series announcement which yeah. is amazing. Now, number three was She-Hulk being casted as Tatiana Maslany. Number two, or number three, sorry, was uh, Thrawn, the, re- the reveal that we're going to yeah. get Thrawn. I think that that was huge. Uh, number two was uh, Oscar Isaacs being casted as Moon Knight. Now, we don't mm-hmm. know if that's true because they didn't announce that Disney Investors Day, but I'm going to hold on hope. Uh, and number one was the Warner Brothers and Disney News. Um, yeah, They are so big in their own right that they needed to be number one together. Uh, so, yeah, that was that, was that man. I, I think that, you know, if I were to look at 2020 and say my top five announcements were I needed to wear a mask every day, I need to fight people for toilet paper, uh, you know, I wouldn't be able to travel outside of my state, I would have said that we were living in a comic book. But here we are, living in 2020. So hopefully midway through 2021, we'll be able to sit back and say, well, 2020 is over and we can start our lives over again. But that's it, man. That's our 2020 year in review. I am not even going to ask you to give 2020 a ranking because it's a no. zero. Uh, but we'll be back next week with our 2021 preview. We're going to talk our favorite movies, what we're looking forward into comics and series and Comic-Cons, if that thing is even possible in 2021. But for those listening at home, if uh, you want to, you can follow us on social media, The Active Geek. Uh, Chuck's on social media, Chuck underscore the active geek. AG Cosplay is also on Instagram. We have another podcast on the network, Galaxy Wars. You can listen to us there. Yeah, and if, you know, if you're celebrating, Merry Christmas. If you're not, happy weekend. And for the Active Geek Podcast, I am Jim. I am Chuck. And we are out. <laughs>